Well, good evening, everyone. Thanks for joining us tonight for Thursday Night Bible Study. I hope you enjoyed the meal and the worship, and now we have some time of Bible study. But first, I have the privilege and honor to introduce a wonderful and godly man as your speaker tonight. He's been married to his high school sweetheart for 26 years. That's Marie. And is the proud father of three children, Elizabeth, William, and Catherine. He is a serious disciple maker. There are many people in the room here tonight who have been ministered to and, and greatly impact, impacted by this man. And he served in a, in a whole bunch of capacities here at GBC for a very long time, including serving as one of our elders, which is why I want to make sure and, and greatly honor him with my words tonight. He is kind of like a boss to me. On the other hand... Here are some fun facts about your speaker tonight, mostly submitted by disgruntled family members and former friends. First of all, he wakes up every morning, seven days a week, 365 days a year at 4.30 in the morning, every single day. That means when he preaches in just a few minutes, he will have been up for nearly 16 hours already today. That is gross. That is horrible. He's famous for saying uh, his family motto all the time in, in difficult situations, and the family motto is, suck it up. I, I, I guess that will, that will probably help him. Uh, your speaker tonight once caught himself on fire while making donuts. Apparently, it was a really serious injury, so I hope you feel bad about laughing. That was not okay. He puts uh, raspberry chipotle sauce on everything he eats for some reason. Uh, they, they say he goes through bottles of this stuff. And uh, they also said that anytime he goes on a trip somewhere, anytime he's going on vacation, he's going to travel, he always wears what he calls his adventure pants. Adventure pants. These are those pants that, that <clears throat> zip into shorts. <laughs> he wants to be ready for, for any activity. And that's all, all those things I've shared are good, but, but the next thing is his most distinctive trait, and that is that he has held the record for the longest mullet at Grace Bible Church. I know it's longest in length and in time, from what I've been told. Um, we actually have a slide of that. There it is. Yeah. That's amazing. That is amazing. Um, he refers to this as a business mullet but I think we all know that is a Kentucky waterfall. That's the, uh, the style of mullet that is. So ladies and gentlemen, please help me in welcoming the godfather of disciple making, the one, the only, Brandon Allen. Well, Michael, thank you for that introduction. We'll, uh, we'll review that further in the next elder meeting. <laughs> I felt like that was a little longer than most introductions. I, think, I feel like you kind of piled on there a little bit. Well, uh, like you said, look, my name's Brandon Allen, and if I don't know you, uh, as he said, I've been around here for about 13 years or so. Uh, I am a, a husband to Marie. I got three kids, as, as Michael went through. Uh, 
I am an elder. I'm on about year seven or so of that, doing my second, second stint. Uh, he did, however, forget, frankly, probably the most important thing you can know about me. And it's probably the most important thing you can know about anybody around here. And if you're looking for credibility, this is, this is, this is where you go. I am a reigning GBC grill-off champion. There are, there, are ver- there are versions of this sermon that may have involved me wearing my turquoise trophy t-shirt underneath something and ripping my shirt open. and all. It, that hit the editing room floor, but I, that may or may not have been in a prior version of this. Uh, and look, uh, I, I've had the opportunity to get up here before, about eight years ago, in fact, and do um, my Thursday night Bible study, uh, which I did. And in fact, I, I even got to preach in, you know, big church, as we used to call it, on, on Sunday, uh, you know, three times on a Sunday. And so you might be thinking to yourself, um, this guy may know what he's doing. And you could think that, and you'd probably be wrong, to be honest with you, because the, here's a little more information on that. The last time that anybody from within this church that was not part of the staff was permitted to preach on a Sunday was seven years ago, and it was me. <laughs> and they, they shut the program down after that. So, you know, th- think what you want about that. Now, so why am I up here? And there's uh, always a lot of great care that's put into choosing these guys that are before you this summer, and you've heard about that. I, I am not one of those guys. I, I wasn't supposed to be up here, to be honest with you. The guy that was supposed to be here, the guy I love, uh, Brett Bergamo, who I spent a lot of time with, uh, at the last second um, sort of got tangled up in some work that looked like he was going to call him away. And so they needed to pull kind of an old man out of the bullpen at the last minute. And that's, that's what I'm doing. Uh, so I'm here because Brett was not supposed to be here. Now, ironically, Brett, if you wouldn't mind standing up for us. <laughs> so... So look, it's, uh, it, it's interesting. Uh, I find myself in an interesting situation, but here I am, and I'm, I'm truly glad to be here. And here's the deal. Um, tonight, we are, you know, of course, this summer, we're going through the life of Moses, and tonight I get to preach on the 10th plague, which is the, the death of the firstborn, which is going to be familiar to, to some, maybe, maybe most. Um, and I, I got to thinking about this uh, recently. And uh, frankly, I started thinking about uh, birth, and I, and, I, and I got on thinking about the birth of my, not my firstborn, but my thirdborn. And uh, I was in the delivery room, and if you know me and you know our family, you know that we're, we're big communicators, and frankly, we give each other, you know, a pretty hard time about things, and we joke around, and maybe sometimes we joke around a little too much, but in, during the birth of my third child... Marie and the, the, the doctor were there, and we're, we're, in the, we're in the pushing phase of the process, okay? This is, it's go time, all right? That's where we are. And I decide to make a joke about it, and, I, and, and Marie sort of misses the push, if you will. And Dr. Law, who is this older OB-GYN, and I, this is my third kid, so I've known him, and we have a pretty good relationship, but he, he looks at me, I'll never forget, dead in the eyes, and he tells me, you can either be part of the solution or you're part of the problem. This is, this is mid-birthing process, okay? And so there's a couple of things, frankly, that I learned about that, honest, honest to goodness, that, that apply here tonight when I think about this. One is that 
sometimes in life, there are distinctions drawn. There are lines drawn. You're either on one side or you're on the other. Okay, that's one thing. The other thing about that is, candidly, is that there's a time and place for humor. And I, I love to cut up. I love to joke around. I probably love it too much. And I would love to come up here tonight, to be totally honest with you, and just, you know, it, it's, it's hilarious. And you walk out of here saying, man, no, that guy, he was, what an entertainer. What a great job. And the truth of the matter is, this is a very serious text tonight, okay? We're talking about death of the firstborn, plague, judgment. And, and the reality is, there's not a lot of humor in it. Uh, there really isn't, and, and there shouldn't be, and, it, and it's pretty serious. And so uh, I'm not going to make the same mistake that I did during the birth of, of my thirdborn and trying to inject a whole bunch of humor into something that, that perfectly honest with you, is, is very serious. And so uh, that's where we are tonight. Um, now, let's, uh, why don't we pray real quick, and then we'll get into it. Uh, Lord, we uh, are thankful for your word. We are... Um, Thankful for everyone who's gathered here tonight, all the volunteers and everything else that makes all of this possible. I pray simply for me, Lord, that you would give me faithfulness to your word, that you would give me the ability to uh, talk about it clearly. And I also pray for, for all of us that we would have soft hearts, that we would be engaged, um, and that we would be transformed ultimately, uh, not by me, but, but by you. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So every Sunday or Thursday, as the case may be, generally I show up here and it seems like I've forgotten, you know, whatever was discussed the prior week. And so it's good to have a little, a quick recap, whether you're like me and you've, you, you come and you just forget or, or whether you don't always come, either one. And so in short, in real short form, we're going through the life of Moses, right? And we, uh, we know that Egypt uh, is enslaving Israel and in particular, Egypt and, and this, this sort of superpower, godlike figure, Pharaoh, is tyrannically ruling over Israel. And we learn, however, at the beginning, and this is what Mike Threadgill preached in the very first Thursday, how, how there was a person who God preserved, even though Pharaoh had issued this edict of the death of all the male uh, babies of Israel, right? And that's Moses. And God providentially protects him. And we learn then, uh, kind of next, the next Thursday that we heard uh, from James Bento, that God called, he initiated a relationship with Moses, and this all happens at the burning bush, and he tells Moses, in short, Moses, you are going to be the person who helps free Israel from bondage, from slavery here in Egypt, right? That was James Bento's sermon. Then, it, things kind of get focused in a little bit more the following Thursday here, where Sam Kite last week preached on sort of let my people go. And, um, you know, the, the, the bottom line was God was telling Moses, look, you're going to go before Pharaoh, and effectively you're going to demand that he let Israel go. That's what you're going to be called to do. And so, in a nutshell, that's what's happened and what we've heard on Thursdays up to this point. Now, tonight, again, I'm telling you, I'm here to tell you about the 10th plague, right, which tells you there were nine prior ones between what Sam talked about and tonight. And I'm certainly not going to go through every one of them, though they certainly merit our attention. But in short, there, there's, a, there's a cycle of these things. There's a typical cycle of how this works. God will tell Moses, this is, going to, this is the particular plague that you're going to go before Pharaoh and talk about. And you're going to demand that he let Israel go time and time again. And Pharaoh 
is not going to do it. That's how we end up in the 10th plague. We're here tonight, and they're still enslaved. And there's some slight variations on that cycle for each of them, but that's, that's the gist of it, okay? That's where we find ourselves. And so, uh, now, at this point, that we're at, we're at the 10th plague, our passage tonight. And y'all know those Russian dolls, uh, you know, those like nesting dolls where you, you've got the outside one, you're like, oh, I wonder what's inside, and you open it up, and it's just another doll. And you open it up, it's, oh, it's that's, honestly, that's kind of how I feel about our passage tonight. Uh, it, it's kind of this cascading set of, of, of issues that are, frankly, I mean, being real honest, I think the most important questions that we can ask ourselves and that we have to grapple with, and there's a series of them in here, and that's what we're doing tonight. So, uh, without further ado, let's, let's get to our actual passage, because the Lord starts with uh, uh, something before we get there, before we start opening these dolls, if you will, and these critical questions. And it starts with Exodus 11, verse 1. <coughs> Excuse me. The Lord said to Moses, yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. All right, let's just stop there. And we're not going to read this in the entirety of Exodus 11 tonight, but this is the start. And God doesn't start here by accident in his word. Yet one more plague. This is, this is God basically saying, look, we've all seen this in parenting, right? Whether it's you're, the way you were parented or you being a parent to somebody else. What do you say, what does the parent say when it's the kid who is disobedient, not listening to authority, digging in, what, you know, whatever, rebellious. The parent says, this is it, right? One more time. I'm not going to say it again. We've hit the end of the road. That's the message, right? And why, and why does the parent do that? The parent does that because he or she, <clears throat> excuse me, she wants to get the child's attention. It's that simple. And that's what's happening here as we lead off in 11.1. God is saying, this is the final plague. Listen up. And this should get the attention both of Moses and of Pharaoh, right? I mean, for Moses, and this is one of the things I learned in studying this, honestly, this is not a, like, a, the plagues were not a Ten Commandments situation where Moses receives, hey, these are the ten plagues, here's how they're going to go, and, you know, this is what they're going to look like. That's not how it worked for Moses, this was an iterative process, one by one, right? And here is the time where Moses is told, after he's been faithfully going through this process, this is where it ends tonight in terms of the plagues. So it's important to Moses. It should have his attention. It certainly should have Pharaoh's attention, right? I mean, Pharaoh, nine times prior to this, has been confronted with God and God's authority and what God has said, and God's delivered nine times in a row, and he hasn't listened. But now God's telling him here, and he's going to tell him, this is it. Yet one more plague. This is where it ends. And so that, that should have our, uh, and, and Moses' full attention and Pharaoh's full attention as well. All right, so what is, the question then is, what is it that God wants them to pay attention to in this? this is, let's turn to the next uh, run of scripture that we're going to read from this, which is Exodus 11, verses 4 through 7. So Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go in the midst of Egypt and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne 
even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There should be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. So, we have the, the, the 10th plague stated, like we talked about. Death of the firstborn, right? This is it. And, uh, and so why? And that's, that's really the first, this is the outside of the, the outside doll. You know, what is it that God wants us to see? Why is it that he wants everyone to be so focused on this? And look, sometimes, you know, if you're West and Daniel and Michael, those guys, you get up here and you're looking at New Testament and you can interpret the Greek and all that. And here we can look at the Hebrew. Fortunately, we don't have to do any of that tonight because I can't do any of that. But all we have to do is we have to be able to read because here it's, God gives it to us in black and white, right? It was, in, it was in verse seven, the second half of verse seven. The reason that God is drawing this distinction between Israel and Egypt and, and doing this again and again and again that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. So it's this distinction that's the reason God is showing this. Okay, that's the reason God is doing this. That's the outside, the outside dollar. Okay, well, so the next question that naturally rises, right, is well, why, why does Israel get to be on the good end of this deal? I mean, there's the distinction being drawn, but why, why does Israel get, get saved and, and the firstborn of, of Egypt get judged, right? Okay. And the answer to that is not, let's start with the answers that are not correct. Is it, is it because Moses is so great? He's such a great leader. I mean, is, could that possibly it? No, the Exodus in the Bible goes out of the way to teach us how that's not true, right? When God went to Moses in the burning bush, how did Moses respond? Who are you? You know, who am I? Can't you send somebody else? All these things. It's not, it's not Moses' greatness somehow, that's going to gonna be the, the key for Israel. It's certainly not Israel itself as a political entity, right? Remember when Moses first went out to Pharaoh and, and, and kind of trotted it out there for the first time, and what did Pharaoh do? He said, you know, double the work, and I'm not going to give you the materials. And how did Israel respond? Was it, well, we've got God's promises. We're in good shape. You know, keep going at it, Moses. No. The answer was, the way they responded was probably how I would have responded, which is, that's terrible. What are you doing to us? Like, I want to be on, I, I, Israel, would rather be on Team Egypt at this point. They're, the pe- they're captors, right? That's how they responded. The Bible doesn't teach that it's the greatness of, of Moses or, or Israel that saves them, right? So what is it? So let's read. We're actually going to skip ahead significantly here to Exodus 12, verses 29 to 32. And this is where the the death of the firstborn actually occurs. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and it goes on. 
what are we seeing here? I mean, basically, God is delivering on what he said he was going to do, right? He's executing his judgment. And so what is this teaching us? Remember, the question on the table at this point is, why is Israel saved and the firstborn of Egypt judged? Not because of Moses. It's not because of Israel. It's because God has made a promise. At the end of the day, that's what it is. We can look back at Exodus 11.1, right? We just, we read it to begin with. The Lord said to Moses, yet one more plague I'll bring upon Pharaoh. Afterward, he will let you go from here. God promised that he would set them free, right? You want to go back to the burning bush, it's the same thing. You can go look at Exodus 3, it's the same kind of promise. Moses is going to get Israel out of the promised land. It's a promise from God. You want to go back from there. Israel is the Right there, the, the, the children of Abraham. Go back to Genesis 12. Go look at the Abrahamic covenant. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you so you can be a blessing to the world. I mean, you can keep going back and back and back. But the bottom line is the whole of Scripture and what Exodus is pointing to is the reason Exodus is on the right side of this distinction that God wants us to know about here is because of God. It's because of his promises. Now, the next question becomes, the next little Russian doll we got to open is, all right, so fine. So it's, it's God's promises. Well, how does that get applied? How does that really get, 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 get applied in real life here? What is it? And we haven't looked at the scripture yet, but, but I've actually got a, got a slide of it, uh, if you don't mind putting it, putting it up there. And it's in, it's in between the two passages that I read. And this is, for those of you who are familiar with it, the Passover, the institution of the Passover, right? So how is it that God's promises get applied to Israel in this? This is, this is how. Right here. Let's read it. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, go and select lambs for yourself according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. So there's a lamb, right? And the lamb is going to be sacrificed. That, that's what we know so far. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with blood that is in the basin. And for those of you who didn't know, I, didn't, I actually I assume this is what it meant, but I, I Googled it. And the lintel is that, is the, kind of like the, the, the post that goes between the two doorposts. So it's saying, put it on your doorposts, your doorframe, if you will, the blood of the sacrificed lamb. None of you shall go out of the door of this house until the morning for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood of this sacrificed lamb on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. So how is it? So God wants us focused on this. We know that. God wants us focused on this distinction that he's making between Israel and the firstborn of Egypt. We know that. How is it that Israel ends up on the right side of this. It's because the promises of God, we know that. How does that get applied into their lives? It's between, to Israel here, it's the blood of this sacrificed lamb being applied to the doorpost so that the angel of death, the destroyer, God's judgment, passes over them, right? That's how, that's how this works. And so honestly, those are the nuts and bolts of the 10th plague, of, of, of the Passover, really, in very short form. And the question's, there are several questions that, that come out of that, right, in terms of application for us today. First question is, 
uh, what does all this, I mean, who cares, right? What, what, what does all this point to? What does it matter between Pharaoh and Moses? What's, what, what does that have to do with us today, right? And, and the answer is, I mean, what is this? What's going on between Moses and Pharaoh and really God and Pharaoh? And, and the short answer is, here in the 10th plague, it's ultimate judgment, right? Death. I mean, frogs are bad, you know, whatever, darkness, Nile, the blood, etc. Bad, bad, bad. Death, the ultimate, right? This is the ultimate judgment we're talking about. And, and it's the same thing with us. That's what this is pointing to because as the Bible teaches, right? The word of God teaches ultimately all of us are going to face judgment one day. And there's going to be death and there's going to be salvation. And it's the same thing that's being taught here between what's going on here between Moses and Pharaoh. It's foreshadowing that. Okay, well, if, if that's what it's pointing to, then on what basis are we today, or, or, or those who are going to be saved, on what basis are you saved from this judgment from the, that's going to be happening in the future that this is pointing to? And the answer is the same way. The same way, ultimately, by God's promises. Right? That's how those who will be saved are going to be saved ultimately, right? John 3.16, the most famous, right, I think, Bible passage in the world, right? We all, uh, many of us know it. For God, so, after, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son so that whoever should believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That is a promise, and it's a very important promise, and it's one that ultimately is going to make the difference, the Bible teaches, between judgment death eternally and life okay so same thing as the exodus okay well that's fine um how does any of that get applied to our life that promise that god makes to us how does it get applied how did it get applied between pharaoh and moses you know and the answer is the blood of the lamb the blood of the passover lamb it's the same thing right uh if we look at, uh, you know, for example, John 1, 29, that's where John the Baptist sees Jesus coming down. What does he say? Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. What's he saying? That guy is, is the Passover. He's the Lamb. He's the Passover Lamb. We sang about it, the Lamb hanging on the tree. If you don't, you know, 1 Corinthians 5, 7 literally says, this is Paul writing the Corinthians, of course, for Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed. And the New Testament again and again and again talks about how Jesus is that lamb. So how does this stuff, how does ultimately God's promises get applied to our lives? The answer is through the blood of the lamb. That's what this is pointing to as well. Okay, well, that's fine. How do I know that I'm covered? If you, how do you know, to, to speak figuratively, how do I know my doorposts have this blood on them, Right? And the answer is the same as it was for, for Moses and for the Israelites. And you think, well, that's kind of odd because we're not out there painting doorposts, right? But the answer, the, the reason that Moses was saved ultimately, right, was his faith, his dependence on God. And you think, oh, wow, I, I didn't read that anywhere in Exodus. We see it in Exodus, but I'm not making this up. That's exactly what's talked about in Hebrews 11:28, okay? Hebrews 11 is that passage, if you happen to know it, where they go through all sorts of 
the Old Testament characters, and it goes one by one by one and talks about how it wasn't their own righteousness that saved them. It was their faith. Hebrews eleven twenty eight talking about Moses. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Okay? How is it that the promises of God applied to us, the blood of the Lamb reaches us today? if we're on the, the side of salvation, and the answer is faith. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, the Passover lamb. That's the gospel, and that's what this, this passage is pointing to. Okay, so finally, maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, all right, I got it. This is all sort of down the middle of the fairway type stuff. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm, you know, I'm a Christian, and so how does any of this matter to me? What, what does Exodus have to say about that? And aren't we done? You know, I'm good. Going to heaven. That's not it. I mean, that, I mean, of course, the entirety of Scripture would have a lot to say about that, but even Exodus does. And if you could put that second half of uh, 12 up there for me, please, Scott. What did Israel do when they were told how this blood of the Lamb was going to be applied to their doorposts, and it was going to be the means, if you will, the mechanism of their salvation. How did they respond? They're told, and it says in the second half of this, and the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. When they were presented with the means of, of God's salvation, the judgment that would have otherwise been happening and their salvation and the Passover lamb and all of that, how did they respond? And the answer is they responded by worship and by obedience. And for those of us who are saved, recovered, if you will, by the blood speaking figuratively, right? Then what does that lead us to? What should it lead us to? And the answer is it should lead us to worship it should lead us to obedience. And so how are we, um, and look, bottom line here is Exodus 11, the, the, the 10th plague, the Passover, about 25 minutes, we've kind of taken a pretty solid run through the entire gospel, you know? That's, th those are the nuts and bolts of the gospel. And so my real hope is that honestly that all of us would wrestle with this. Um, for those of us who, you know, I'm, I, there are plenty of people here, I'm sure, who listen to this and frankly are challenged by it. Maybe they're put off by it. I hope not. But that's not even my biggest fear. I, I, just, I just want, I really hope for those of you who are here who are unfamiliar with this or just don't believe it, that you really would wrestle well with it. And I, pr and I, I hope you talk to me about it. I hope you talk to others about it. Because the truth of the matter is that God is a promise keeper. And that's what this is teaching. And for those of us who have placed our faith in the Lamb, that is, God being a promise keeper is a source of great encouragement. It's everything at the end of the day. It really is. The, the reality is that the only promises God makes, they're not all, they're not all good. And we learned that in Exodus. And if, if we're not covered, then frankly, about the worst thing in the world is God's character and that he is a promise keeper. And that's the other end of this deal. And, and so my genuine prayer is that we would all wrestle well with this. Um, and for those of us who, who have placed our faith in Jesus, that we would respond as they did here 
within worship and obedience, and that that would play out in our lives. So uh, if you've got any complaints or questions, please see Brett Bergamo. He's right there. <laughs> and otherwise, let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we thank you for your, your word. We thank you for your word um, when it's sort of a, an easy read and it's, it's all seems to be encouragement, uh, but we also thank you for your word when it, when it challenges us, as this does. I pray, Lord, that we would all engage well with it. I pray that we would wrestle with it, and I pray, ultimately, that we would not just be hearers of your word, but that we would be doers of your word uh, by the empowerment of your Holy Spirit in us. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.